to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Tuesday, January 5th. After about a month and a half of no ATP action, two and a half months of no WTA action, of course, we've had some ITF, some challengers sprinkled in, but finally, we are ready to kick off the 2021 professional tennis season. So much tennis for all of us fans to get excited about headline events in Abu Dhabi, Delray Beach, and Antalya, but of course, We've got ITF events going on throughout the world as all of us look forward to another season of professional tennis and, of course, joining us on today's podcast to recap the final week of the 2020 season because, of course, even with a New Year's holiday, tennis still manages to sneak an event or two into the calendar and to help us preview this week's events. You, of course, know him as the guru of the Pro Tennis Travel Guide, the Pied Piper of the Daily Match Pick'em. I know him as Tennis in Aloha. Or as my friend, our newest Crack Rackets contributor, Judson Wall. Judson, welcome back to the show. How are you hanging in there, my friend? Aloha, Gresky. Hello, listeners. Uh, doing well, doing well. It's new year, new me. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, ready for some tennis. Is there an age where you just stop making New Year's resolutions where it's just like, all right, that's a little childish. If I'm going to change my life, I can change it in March just as much as I can in January. That would be the responsible thing, but are we responsible? (laughs) Uh, No, I think it also depends on your year, you know? If you had a good year, uh, just keep it rolling. If you had a bad year, maybe it's a nice opportunity for a reset. You know, a lot of people get a lot of time off of work around the new year, around Christmas break, maybe a chance to reset and and uh, get it going again. Yeah, absolutely. That's what we were doing here at Cracked Rackets. We enjoyed a nice week and a half off. Not too many podcasts over that time frame. I think more than anything else, we just wanted to give Super Producer Daniel West off a break from my voice. Can you imagine having to hear my voice, look at it every day, edit every day, and then know that when you walk out of your room from an editing session, I live across the hall from you. That's the life of Super Producer Daniel West stuff. So yes, a reset for all of us. But of course, it's also funny, I like ask you, is there a certain age like when you do something you're not that much older than me so i apologize for framing you in that reference you're not the geezer you're not the chris halioris you're our young spry hawaii correspondent and of course uh you are someone who has their nose pinned down to the ground in all of the action going on throughout the tennis world so of course we want to recap the last few itfs of 2020 talk a little bit about this week's action uh, on the atp and wta tours of course the reason we are able to do that day in day out here on the mini break podcast because of the support we get from our friends at midwest sports if you are looking to spruce up your 2021 maybe get that new racket that new set of strings a new pair of kicks just to ensure your tennis game is where you want it to be to start the season be sure to turn to our friends at midwest sports you can find all of the best brands all of the best prices all in one location midwestsports.com you use that promo code cr15 you'll get 15 percent off your order free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding 75 dollars best of all that free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls, MidwestSports.com. The promo code is CR15. One other quick programming note before we get into today's conversation. Obviously, with the 2021 season starting, that means we're going to be back on our grind here at the mini break doing podcasts every day. You're going to be able to find them in the morning wherever you listen to your podcasts. Of course, we are going to take Sundays off this season. That was what we decided here at Cracked Rackets. We are going to have Saturday podcasts because 
because, of course, when you have four quarterfinal matches at events going on across the globe, too much action to let build up over a couple days in the queue, but we will let, you know, Saturday semifinals build up until Monday. Talk about the semifinals final action on that Monday podcast, but we're ready to rock and roll here at the Mini Break Podcast for 2021. We'll continue to bring in our slew of guests, people like Judson, David Gertler, Matt Stokowiak, Jamie McDonald, all the members of our Crack Rackets teams, all of our friends from throughout the tennis universe and more. So be on the lookout for all of those podcasts. We also are bringing back our daily GSP Aces of the Day, our segment brought to you by our friends at DraftKings. So many matches going on across the globe. Let's take advantage of that action, put a little bit of money in our pocket during this 2021 season. You can do it with our friends at DraftKings through one day, one and one for the Aces of the Day, but we're up $2 overall. And anytime you're up, it's a victory, right? So we will mark in day one as a win for us here at Crack Rackets. You can hear those every morning on the Great Shot podcast feed. And of course, if you want to read more about the weekly review preview that you are going to hear about in this podcast, go check out Judson's work on our website, CrackRackets.com. If you have not yet already, go check out his maps piece reviewing where the professional tennis world went in the 2020 season, how COVID-19 impacted the number of events we played. So many fun tidbits in that piece and so much more. And Judson and I will talk about that on a Great Shot podcast this week. That is my promise to both Judson and you listeners out there. But with that in mind, Judson, let's talk our final bit of tennis of the 2020 season. And of course, in pure tennis fashion, we're not going to get a New Year's week off. No, no, no. We have events to round out the calendar. We had two Futures events, I believe, both in the same location, correct? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we're sitting here January 5th, still talking about 2020 because the tennis season never truly ends. And uh, yeah, that was the case this year. Uh, there were, although it almost it almost had a little break. There was only one location worldwide the last week of 2020 that sort of bled into the first week of 2021, and that was in Monastir as a fifteen thousand dollar ITF. Um, both men's and women, men and women were playing there. And, uh, yeah, that was the only action worldwide at any level, uh, you know, for both the men and women all week. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, if we want to go into – do you want me to go into the the results? Oh, you never have to ask. Rock and roll. <laughs> okay, well, like I said, both the men and women were playing. Uh, you know, they, although the tournaments were being held – there were still many, many players. Most of the world's players were taking the out, taking the opportunity to take a week or two off during this time. Uh, so the fields were light, relatively. Uh, on the women's side, I think the top seed was ranked in the 500s, Anna Siskova from Czechoslovakia. Uh, she was ranked 545 going into the week. She actually won the tournament. She's a 19-year-old. Um, and she, she beat a 16-year-old Belgium. Uh, Amelia Van Emp in the final, she saved a, a couple match points in the third set and won the won the title match in the tiebreak seven three. Uh, and uh, you know, I think it was, I believe it was her second ITF title. But for Van Emp, the the Belgian sixteen year old, it was her very first professional tournament that she ever played. Uh, I think she's ranked outside of the top 100 in the junior ranks. So a very impressive performance by her. I believe this week she's also active in Monastir and may have qualified, or I know she won at least her first couple rounds of qualifying. 
So just out of nowhere, the 16-year-old starts making a few waves in the ITF circuit, you know, unranked, never played a tournament, and then into the final, had a had a championship point against 19-year-old Siskova, uh, but couldn't take advantage. Siskova won, and so she's your your women's titleist. Yeah, and you know, it's so funny. We talk about this, it seems like, each and every week. Uh, I think it was, what, four weeks ago that it was all uh, women under the age of 23 uh, who won the big titles, or maybe that was three weeks ago, two weeks ago. Who knows at this point? I know last week uh, we had a couple of young title winners on the women's side as well. I believe it was uh, a 21-year-old Russian in Amina Anshba uh, who won one of the titles. And then I want to say maybe that was the only women's event last week. So again, all these weeks scrambling together but so many of these women 23 and under taking advantage of these late season ITFs as you mentioned it's not as though they're the most loaded draws and I'm sure you know we see even here in the first week of 2021 uh, many of the players starting to ramp up their playing schedules but no absolutely for Siskova uh, to take the victory uh, obviously she'll be now right around number 500 in the world hopefully she'll be able to start playing more you know 25k events start to add even more points to her resume and yeah absolutely if a 16 year old in your professional debut makes a final it doesn't matter the level that's happening that's a special moment so uh absolutely van imp will be someone to circle uh in 2021 i do want to flip now to the men's side because i feel like we had an upset the fact that we were in tunisia usually that means you can just pencil in that skander mansuri victory and yet on this occasion mansuri followed up a little bit short in the semifinals. Yeah, absolutely. Mansouri loves his Tunisian home court advantage there. Um, won six titles at that monastery location. Of course, they play every week. So if you if you if you also play every week, you're bound to rack a few up. But still, six is impressive uh, at the same location. He did fall short. Skander Mansouri did in the semifinals to Alexander earlier, a lanky, big hitting Austrian. Um, you know, and earlier didn't take advantage of that. He fell in the final to Kaichi Uchida of Japan, 26-year-old from Japan, uh, 6'4", 6'2". Uchida was also the top seed in Monastir on the men's side. And he takes the title. It's his sixth ITF title. And, and he's ranked 329 coming in. So that, that win will probably get him up close to the top 300. I haven't checked the live rankings, but... Uh, uh, you know, when you start getting into the top three, four hundred, even a title at the ITF level does not raise your ranking very much because it's only ten points mm-hmm. at this fifteen thousand dollar level. Uh, and you know, at at when you hit three hundred in the world, you have about I think it's about a hundred and fifty ATP points or thereabouts. You know, so only adding ten isn't going to jump you up the rankings, but still, obviously. A title is better than no title. Yeah, and just quickly, because it was going to bother me, two weeks ago, it was Chinwen Zhang, uh, Carol Manette, and Diane Perry, who all under the age of 20 won titles. So between them, Anjba, and then this week, uh, I think that's five now who have done it in the past three weeks at the ITF level. But absolutely, to your point, uh, yeah, at a certain, you know, at a certain stage in the rankings, if you're playing ITF, 
10k 15k level events the points are just on the margins and i think we learned this week was it the atp tour who now it's accepting the 19 best results now not the 17 best results and sure you know in the 400s 500s 600s an additional itf result on your resume that does end up helping but yeah once you get to the 200 range or the 100 range it's better to win a match at a challenger than it is to you know make a semi-final run at an itf event and so those little things start to add up yeah yeah and you're you're right uh the i wasn't aware that they had changed the rule actually until just very recently but the the atp i don't know if the wta has followed suit but the atp their their ranking formula was it wasn't 17 it was 18 18 i'll correct you correct you there but it was in ATP players construct their ranking by their by 18 results, their best 18 results. And those 18 results are the four Grand Slams if you play them. Even if you get a zero pointer, you have to count those if you play the Grand Slams. Same thing with the Masters 1000s. And so that's, and there's eight, eight mandatory Masters 1000s. Monte Carlo doesn't count. Uh, and so the, the eight mandatory Masters 1000s, the four Grand Slams, so that's 12 events. And then it used to be your six best other events uh, make up your your ranking. And your seventh, eighth, ninth best events points-wise didn't count. <clears throat> now the rule change is they're adding an extra best of event in that, ca- in that last category. And so now it's your seven best ranking tournaments for the prior 52 weeks. And so it's 19 best at this point. Um, so overnight on Monday, when the new r- ranking rule came out, certain player, most players, uh, you know, gained a few points on the rankings, and certain players even jumped a few spots in the rankings because perhaps their seventh best result, you know, was a 45 pointer in Delray last year or some, you know, something like that. So uh, overnight, I think uh, Yannick Center jumped up a ranking spot, you know not playing at all but he had that extra tournament to count now so um yeah that's that's kind of where we're at and i uh you know i i don't know i think I, well i guess i don't really have an opinion do you have an opinion on whether that's a good thing or a bad thing I have opinions on everything, Judson. Uh, my first opinion, <laughs> obviously, is that, look, when you do over a 1,000 podcasts, you're going to make errors. And that I said 17 tournaments and that it's 18, I feel like that's a good error on my part. I'll take that one. Only one off could have been way worse there. Um, but, no, you know, again, just to, to look even broader than that because we're getting in the weeds here. And, of course, you and I know what you're talking about. But for the listeners who don't understand, well, why would they make these people play 19 tournaments? What does that number mean? Obviously, every player is going to want to play the Grand Slams. They're going to want to play the Masters events because uh, – that's just your uh, those are the biggest stages in tennis biggest prize money biggest moments etc etc uh so you're going to attract the best players at those events no matter what the the reason you have the other six tournament requirements so that Novak Djokovic is going to play a Rotterdam or you know Federer is going to play uh what what's the Hamburg event or what's the one on the grass the one where George beat him in the final whatever that one's Holla. called yeah Hala thank Holla. you I, I got the H right I was like it's Hamburg no it's Hala uh again an unforced error I can live with but 
uh, you know, that's the reason they do it, to incentivize to play the other tournaments, also to ensure that young people rising up the rankings have the opportunity to continue to rise up the rankings when they make that jump from playing challenger-level events to playing ATP-level events. Like, one of the biggest winners in this is anyone who's 20 or under and has a lot of challenger points on their record but is now in that place. Like, a guy like Emil Rusevori, who's going to get to keep all of his challenger points, but now with his ranking has the opportunity to go play ATP 250 levels and with that added 17 or that added 19th tournament you know if he makes a semi-final run he gets to keep all of his points plus add a semi-final run and not lose anything from earlier and these guys you know really incentivizes those guys who are about to make big leaps in the rankings who have nice points to defend uh, and so I agree I think it is interesting if I have an opinion not strongly one way or the other I mean I'm in all in favor of incentivizing more playing from these top players at a 19th event of their score make them play that extra tournament why not why wouldn't you do it I there's no no harm for me in that I mean does one more tournament on the margin really benefit a guy who's playing 50 events that much more than a guy who's playing 35 events no so I don't think this is too much of a competitive disadvantage I'm all about it yeah so my my opinion on it is uh, I agree that adding the 19th event or, you know, maybe even a, a couple more, uh, you know, I don't think that that does any, anybody any harm. Uh, that just basically increases the, the sample size and perhaps gives you an even better indicator of, you know, how a player is playing over the last 52 weeks. It's just one more event to count. Uh, but I will say that I would disagree with adding these extra events these 19th or 20th 21st in the future perhaps if <clears throat> if they're making them <clears throat> excuse me if they're making them mandatory um you know the the tennis season is very long we just discussed that in the intro and uh i think one way to to appease everyone with the with the length of the tennis season is to keep the season the same you know we don't want to take away tournaments take away an Adelaide or, or, you know, uh, uh, New York open, you know, whatever, um, from these local communities. Uh, but we don't want all these players having to, you know, wear out their bodies playing a ton of events. So make less mandatory right now. There are the four grand slams and the eight, uh, masters 1000s. And then I think also if you're the top 50 or top 35 or something, um, you have to play a few 500s as well. And top players think that that's too much on their body. Uh, in, or Decrease those mandatory events. Make them only play maybe the Masters and the Slams. Or maybe not even the Masters. Just make them play the Slams if they're healthy. And let them build their own schedule. And then, yeah, take the extra couple events. Uh, you know, it does incentivize playing a little bit more. The more events that you're counting. And give them that, give them an incentive that way rather than making them come to play. So where I disagree with you, and I'll give you the final word afterwards, but I just, if we've learned anything about these top tennis players, whether it be the negotiations for how are we going to divide up the money, how are we going to make pay equity a more uh, a more standard feature at the both the highest and lowest rankings of the game. And all, all of these players are really selfish. Once you're in the top 10, you want to reap the benefits of being in the top 10. And I'm sorry, but 
as you mentioned, there are like I think it's I think it's fifteen mandatory events right now. Maybe it's fourteen. It's fourteen or fifteen to ask a professional tennis player to play fourteen weeks of the season. And so you want to double it for that. So you throw in the extra four weeks. So to play 19, 20 weeks of the season, I'm sorry. But if you can't commit to that, you don't deserve to be a top 10 player. Now, I understand injuries happen. And, of course, injuries, if you're injured, they don't hold you missing a mandatory event against you. And, of course, we don't want to incentivize injuries. But it's 14 tournaments, 15 tournaments. These are the elite of the elite athletes. Is it really that much from them to ask for that level of commitment to the sport? I don't think so. Yeah, I mean, back in the day, um, you know, the Yvonne Lindell, John McEnroe days, I mean, they played almost every week. And, I mean, they they, they continent hopped. You know, they would, uh, they would jump from L.A. to Rotterdam to Tokyo – uh, they played every, almost every. They played a ton of events then, um, but you know the game is a little more physical now, and I, I don't know. I guess I see it both ways. Um, I one rule that I disagree with that I think they could get rid of is after the U.S. Open, those top thirty players have to play at least one five hundred event, and I don't think they should be, make anybody you know decide when they should have to play a certain event other than, you know, just those mandatory events like Paris is after the U S open. Um, but do away with that. Maybe, I don't know. I think there are good reasons to have the mandatories, but they need a little bit of reform. Yeah. I I just think there's an entire problem with the Asian swing in that after the U S open, there's so much less incentive. And again, this is more structural issues with the schedule themselves than tournament requirements. But yeah, there are a lot of structural flaws. I just, I always think tennis should incentivize playing the events and it, it, you know, tennis, you want to be the best player. You have to be the best player on the court. And of course the grand slams, the masters 1000s are going to be worth more points, but it should be worthwhile when a guy like an Andre Rublev, uh, this season, or, you know, Matteo Berrettini last season, Dominic team, every season, when they put forth the sort of events where they're playing or seasons where they're playing 35, 36 events and having success when week in week out, that should be, uh, applauded. And that should be again, incentivized. They should be able to move up the rankings the way they have, uh, uh, but it should also uh, then force the other top players to get back out on the court. I just I, I have no problem with the mandatory uh, requirements. I I have problems with the scheduling, but I I don't I would I would not waive the mandatory requirements uh, in terms of I suppose minimum tournaments these guys have to play. Fair enough. Yes. All right. Yes. But with that in mind, and I'm glad we got into that discussion because that is something that absolutely hangs over this 2021 season. And of course, we start to learn more and more each and every week about what that season is going to look like. We got a further preview of the July uh, of the WTA schedule, I believe, through June and July through Wimbledon uh, this year. But we will save that conversation for next week. I want to talk about the tennis we are going to see this week as we have the WTA and ATP tours back in action. And I want to start with the event in Abu Dhabi because there are always warm-up events in the build-up to a Grand Slam. But I'm telling you, Judson, looking at this draw in Abu Dhabi, and I believe we have four top 10 players as our top four seeds in Sonia Kennan, Alina Svitolina, Katerina Pliskova, and Arena Sabalenka. Uh, But you look even beyond the draw past that, all eight 
all of the top eight seeds are ranked in the top 21 in the world. All of the top 17 seeds inside the top 35 or top 16 seeds, excuse me, inside the top 35. I mean, this war, this opening event in Abu Dhabi, this WTA 500, it's as good as it gets. Yeah. Um, uh who was it? Uh, the sixteen, <clears throat> the sixteen seed is some. Yeah, Vekic. You know that that gives you an idea of the strength of the draw there. Sixteen seed is Donna Vekic, who's ranked thirty-two in the world. So, uh, WTA the uh, the WTA Abu Dhabi Abu Dhabi draw is a strong one, especially compared to sort of the ATP two fifties that are going on this week in Antalya and Delray. They had a slew of, of withdrawals. Um, and, you know, I think the main reason for that, well, one, the, the Abu Dhabi event is a 500-level event. So there's more money, more points, more incentive to play. Uh, the ATP events are 250s, so less money, even less money during this pandemic year. Uh, and, you know, less prestige and all that. But the main reason I think the draw is so strong in Abu Dhabi and relatively weak in in the ATP locations is because the WTA actually got this one right. They've had a few missteps lately, in my opinion. You know, they don't have an app. (laughs) Um, But uh, the WTA got this one right over the ATP by having the event in Abu Dhabi because, of course, the a bunch of the chartered flights down to Melbourne leave next week from Abu Dhabi. Um, so that's one of the, the locales around the world that, that players are going to be entering Melbourne from. And then, of course, the the qualifications for the Australian Open are just up the coast in, or maybe down the, yeah, down the coast in Dubai. And so, you know, maybe a train ride, maybe a car ride or a short flight um, down to Dubai. Uh, for qualifying for the Australian Open for those ladies in Abu Dhabi that, you know, need to do qualifying. By contrast, the men, you know, there's a tournament in Delray. um, And then, so anybody that needs to qualify for the Australian Open will have to, you know, if they lose early enough in Delray, they'll have to hop a a transatlantic flight over uh, over to Doha, which is where the men are having their Australian Open qualifying. And then in Italia, it's a little closer, but it's still, you know, it's still a multinational flight, um, a several hour flight, and maybe have some connections, you know, that they'll have to make. So I think the, the WTA got it right there, and it's showing in the strength of that draw. It's a very strong draw. Yeah, I mean, you look at some of these first round matchups, Alina Svitolina taking on yeah. Jess Pegula. You know, Svitolina, I think, was 21 and 9 last season and uh, won two titles, made the quarterfinals of the French Open, was pretty good down the home stretch. Of course, she did not travel to New York, but she takes on one of the best players in New York, and who was Jessica Pegula, who was a semifinalist, or a semi, excuse me, quarterfinalist at uh, the Western and Southern event before losing to Mertens. She made the third round of the U.S. Open before losing to. 
to Kvitova, and of course she was uh, playing so well during the World Team Tennis season last year and had made that final in Auckland in Australia to start her season as well uh, before she ended up losing. I believe she lost the match, uh, if memory serves me correctly, to Serena Williams. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's that's those are two of, uh, you know, Pagula was probably one of the 30 best players of the 2020 WTA season was so hot down the home stretch to see her first match on hard court against the number two seed. Uh, that should be a really exciting battle. Of course, right above them, you have Fiona Farrow, who uh, had her breakout slam performance at the French Open, won a title in Palermo to start the restart, did not travel to New York either, but the 23-year-old French woman inside the top 50, someone we have circled here at Crack Rackets, we've talked about her before, uh, for as a potential breakout player in in 2021, she's got Zavana Reva first round, the winner of that, playing the winner of Svitolina Pegula. So, the, you know, right there, that little section just on its own crazy. Uh, of course, you've got Mertens Cornet first round, Vekic Para first round, Zidanzik versus Jennifer Brady is a really fun one as well. I mean, you can go up and down the draw all of these matches. Pavlochenkova versus Shabur, Mladenovic uh, versus Muguruza, Sabalenka versus Herzog. Uh, it's loaded from top to bottom. And so I guess my question to you when you look at the action, I guess give me one player who you're going to be watching most closely that, uh, to see how they perform and then give me how you expect to see uh, all the action play out uh that's a tough one uh you know it's the the ladies especially the top ladies they just haven't had a lot of time on the court uh in a professional tournament i think you mentioned at the top of the pod that it's been two and a half months or something like that you know and even that i think was Linz, uh the austria the austrian tournament you know where they're not gonna they didn't have an absolutely loaded field you know i think the last big time tournament on the wta side was the french open maybe um and so i mean that's the number one thing that i'm going to be looking at just overall what's the quality like how are the top names performing are we going to see a dominic team like dud you know right after the pandemic you had cincy and team lost in the first round very easily uh, didn't end up meaning much because he won the U.S. Open the next week or whatever. But, um, you know, are you going to have something like that happen with, like, a Kinnan, you know, or, like, a Sabalinka or someone? Um, and, uh, yeah, so that's going to be, like, the main thing that I'll, I'll be looking for and looking looking forward to is just watching the play, seeing how uh, things went over the off season for some of the top players. I'll, I'll particularly be watching Kinnan, you know, she's American. Uh, defending Aussie Open champ, see how she looks in this lead-up tournament heading down to Australia. Uh, I always like to watch Sakari and see how she's going, Muguruza, uh, Sabalinka. So, you know, I, I have no idea who's going to win this thing. Uh, you got to favor maybe Kinnan, the top seed, uh, but we'll just see how it plays out. No, it's a bold take. Favor the top seed. Uh, I like it, Judson, <laughs> a lot. But look, I you know I got the chance to do press yesterday in Abu Dhabi and talking to all of these players. You know, why are they playing this event? Given all the hoopla they're going to have to go through just to get to Australia, and it's because look, they're tennis players. They want to get back out court, as you mentioned, uh, to get some matches under their belt prior to the Australian Open start. It means the world to them, and they've been training for two and a half months. They're ready to see if that training has been paying dividends now 
you know, some of the young players I didn't mention in the draw, uh, Layla Fernandez taking on Jasmine Paulini. That should be a really fun one. We've got uh, Marta Kostyuk in the draw. Nadia Podoroska, who came on so strong last year, was like 50 or 43 and 6, something crazy like that. She takes on Sarah Saribas Tormo, who is pretty good down the home stretch as well. Coco Goff in the draw, too. All of those young players want to see them take another step forward. But, you know, a player I talk about far too frequently on these podcasts who won her last two events of the season in Ostrava and wherever the other event was, was Arena Sabalenka, who is the number 10 player in the world who hits the ball as hard as any player in the women's game. When her serve, her forehand is clicking, she just hits her opponents off the court. She's got the skills to move forward. She's such a powerful athlete. Uh, she. In theory, you know, again, she's got momentum on her side. She's got all the reason in the world to be confident. And I think a player she could match up with in the round of 16 in Own Shabur, who was so good last season, uh, that could be a really fun matchup of two players who I think we all expect to see big things from in 2021. But yeah, I mean, the storyline of last season was the parity between, you know, players number four and players number 50 in the rankings. And, you know, we didn't say a word about Jennifer Brady, who was the third third best player in New York behind probably uh, Naomi Osaka and Vika Azarenka. And, you know, she's the 11 seed here this week. You've got Elisa Mertens, who was the wins leader for the WTA last season. She's in the draw. Sakari came out strong. So again, Annette Conteve was really, really good as well. Uh, There are so many storylines. And I think more than anything else, it's just let's roll the balls out there. Let's see who's got it. Let's see who can translate into 2021 uh, the momentum they built up in 2020. 20. I do have a good feeling about uh, Carolina Pliskova. Just want to throw that out there. There was this confidence about her in the press room. She seems to be really happy with her new partnership with Sasha Bajin. I think if she can get through, you know, a tricky first round, I suppose, in Kirstea, but comparatively some of the other sections, she's got to like her draw really through Jennifer Brady uh, in that would be a round of 16 match. No one's really got the weapon to hurt her until then. So I think that's another player to watch. But yeah, again, your idea ideal start to the WTA season in Abu Dhabi when you have 16 top 35 players all seated in the event. It's something all of us can get excited about. Let's switch gears, though. Let's talk a little ATP action, and it is worth mentioning, and you talked about it a little bit in your weekly review preview piece. Uh, we've seen a bunch of withdrawals, guys like Yannick Sinner, Milos Raonic, Borna Chorich, and others all choosing to skip out on the opening week. Andy Murray, Dan Evans, another one just for them. It's a little too difficult to track cross-continent and then head to Australia. But I think the draw we see in Delray Beach still pretty enjoyable. I mean, you've got top-seeded Christian Guerin. The two-seed is near three-seed Manorino, four-seed Hubi Hercots. Same deal. What will you be watching for in Delray Judson, and how do you expect the action to shake out? Yeah, uh, like you said, the, the draw took – some of the sting was taken out of the draw by a few withdrawals. But, yeah, there's still plenty of – plenty of action to look forward to uh you know qualifications are going on right now round one qualies um and uh yeah i mean christian garen's the first seed uber dirt catch is in there uh lots of americans so that's probably the 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 you know number one thing that i personally will be looking for i love watching the young americans um and there's there's a ton of them you know there's mackie and um Big Foe, Fratangelo, uh, Sebastian Cord is in there, Tommy Paul, you know, all the all the all the main ones basically. 
And uh, for Delray and really for Antalya, Delray for the young Americans, Antalya for the young Europeans, it is an excellent opportunity uh, for these young guys that maybe don't get week in, week out ATP experience to get that experience and maybe even pick up some wins and some points and some money. Uh, because like we were talking about, the draw took a hit. I think in Delray, um, Fratangelo, I think, was maybe the last one in, and he's ranked around 250. So you're getting guys that have challenger-level rankings getting into this ATP tournament. And, you know, Fratangelo has a qualifier in round one, and so he's his his opponent will be quali- or will be challenger level. So it'll be like a challenger match. Great opportunity for Fratangelo and his opponent, whoever that will end up being, you know, to nab an ATP victory, get 20 points, however much money comes along with that. Uh, you know, and then let's see, they'd be playing uh, the winner of TFO and a qualifier in the second round to make the quarterfinals of an ATP event. So, Good opportunity for a lot of these young guys, the Tommy Pauls of the world. Tommy Paul has uh, Ji Sung Nam from Korea, who is, let me see here, ranked 268 in the world. So actually, I think he was actually the last one in. Uh, you know, so that's his first round match. And then his second round match could be against Korda or Kwan, both guys ranked around the top 100 mark. Um, and so great opportunity for him, great opportunity for guys up and down the draw. And that's the main thing I'll be looking for. These young, young guys, particularly young Americans, can they make any waves? You know, Delray Beach, for whatever reason, has this kind of, especially on Reddit, if you ever go on Reddit, it has sort of this cult following um, where somebody obscure picks up their first WT, or not WT, ATP title at Delray you know, once every three or four years. And it could happen again this year. Donald Young, it happened to one year. Francis TFO, it happened to one year. I would, maybe not obscure, but guys that aren't winning ATP events all the time. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, look, uh, it, it should be a really fun draw in, in terms of uh, one of my favorite first-round matchups. I mean, you want to watch two guys who can absolutely slug the ball from the baseline, go watch that Quan quarter first-round matchup. That should be really, really exciting. I got the chance to see Mackie Query in Miami earlier this, or I suppose last summer, uh, and it was really fun to see them play. J.C. Aragoni uh, against Cam Norrie should be a really fun matchup between two former college tennis stars. The guy I want to talk about when I look at this Delray Beach draw, one of my most, you know, I'm going to be doing a podcast down the road with a returning guest here, Ben Rothenberg, and we'll be playing a game of buy, sell, hold, and one of the players we're going to talk about is Hubie Hercots, and I'll go into it in further depth uh, when we do that podcast, but you know, Hubie Hercots to me was one of the most fascinating case studies of 2020. This is a guy who starts out his uh, season last year eight and two, and you know, during the ATP Cup, he beats Chorch, he beats Schwartzman, he beats Team. After that, he makes the semifinals in Auckland before losing a funky three-set match to Benoit Pair. Loses his Australian Open round of 64 to John Millman, but you can sort of understand that. And then, you know, kind of. 
just plot it, it, it whenever he had momentum going during this portion of the season for some reason or another it got cut short and just you know I thought he played really well in the UTR events at the Altic Steislinger event we saw in Miami but he comes out of the gates in New York loses his first match to Isner which is of course on those lightning quick western and southern courts you can understand but then loses a weird match to Davidovich Fokina at the US Open he makes the round of 16 in Rome looks really good knocking off Dan Evans and Andre Rublev had Diego Schwartzman there before losing in a third set. Then he loses first round to uh, Tennis Sandgren and Roland Garros. And just 15-3 and three last season, he was, I think, 25-23 and 23 during the 2019 season. He had a couple of wins over Nishikori. Uh, he obviously, that season, I believe, won his first ATP title in Winston-Salem as well. And it's just... Hubie's a guy who seems to play a lot of close matches because he's a guy who can do everything pretty well on the court. He's that typical new modern six foot six frame, but he moves well. He can slug it away at the baseline, but he's also a guy who will throw in a big kick serve and serve in volley. He'll play slices. He'll play drop shots. He can do a lot of things good, but I don't know what he does great yet. And so that that's the question for me for Hubie Hercots heading into 2021 because he checks off every check mark you could want in terms of your physical and you know profile and your shot skill set and your skill set uh but I I just don't know what the final version of him looks like yet and so I'm really interested to see you know you look at his section of the draw Pablo Andahar his is his other seed and like I know Daniel Galan played really well down the home stretch but on a hard court that shouldn't be an issue for Hubie and then you know Christian Guerin on a hard court again in the potential semifinal if everyone holds seed or even if it's Sam Query, those are matches Hubi Hercots could win so I would love to see him get off to a strong start here in Delray I know he's a guy who trains in Miami uh, I could see him winning this event and I think if he's going to have the sort of 2021 I think he's capable of he really just should win this event yeah his his draw is pretty favorable I was just looking at it while you were talking about it and uh of course, he has that first round buy as the four seed, which I do do not get right now. Um, I don't know why we're having buys in ATP 250s. You know that when the goal is to have more tournaments and more players play uh, during these COVID times. I don't know why we're doing these buys, but anyway, uh, he does have one uh, because it's a 28 player draw, so the top four seeds will get a buy. And so he's automatically into the second round where he gets, like you said, Galan or, or Andre Martin, you know, two guys that are better on the clay, two challenger level kind of guys for now anyway. And so he'll definitely be favored there. And then, yeah, his seed is Anduhar. Uh, I mean, there's not a lot there. I favor him to come out of this top half or at least, to, you know, either him or <clears throat> on the other in the other section of that half, Garen or maybe Query, you know. Um, but I mean, he definitely has a good shot of coming through this half of the draw. And yeah, I think, uh, I think, uh, birded or not, <laughs> that's where I'm going with this. I, the way I see her catches, you know, he's a guy that, as you say, he does a lot of things, right. Not a lot of things wrong, but what does he do, you know, above and beyond everyone else? Not, not a bunch. Um, I mean, he has good size and he moves really well. And he, he doesn't have, you know, many weaknesses. That's his game. And the guy, he's a guy that will beat a lot of players he should beat and maybe lose to most players that he should lose to. And that 
that type of guy that used to be around that recently retired was Tomas Burdich. And that's sort of if things go exactly right for Ubi Hercatch, that's sort of the player I see in him. Yeah, I we just disagree on this one, which is always a healthy thing because the the fluidity of Hubi Hercats, the creativity he plays with, it's the antithesis of Thomas Burdich. Thomas Burdich was he is one more speed. fluid. I'll, I'll it, admit. But it's also the shot selection, the shot profile. He plays short angle. He plays drop shot. He goes down the line. He, you know, I also. I think the thing for me that's most frustrating about Hubie Hercats is he a thousand percent plays to the level of his opponent. He's a guy who, oh, we're messing around today. I'm down to mess around. Oh, I'm playing Kei Nishikori and I need to be locked in from start to finish in this match. I can do that as well. What frustrates me so much is we don't see the consistency match in, match out because again, at 23 years old, he's still a guy trying to figure out, okay, I can do a lot of things well on the tennis court, but what is it that will win me the the most matches in the most efficient manner possible. And I mean, again, 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 modern tennis, if all of these guys, the, the athletes at six foot six, the Zverevs, the Medvedevs, the Hurkatses, the Opelka is the extreme example, but obviously Berrettini or Tsitsipas, just the inherent advantage you have by seeing, being six foot six, you can do things with your serve that shorter players can't do. And just these guys don't lose a second of movement. They're not in compromised positions because of their size. And Hubi Hurkats, I mean, again, it's if I ask you, you know, what are what's a Hubi Hurkats weakness? It's you. You're not going to point to a structural thing in his game. You're not going to say, well, his forehand loops a little bit big, and I guess it really is a little bit big, but it's not a hitch. It's not a Tiafo sized hitch. Or like you're going to look at his backhand, and you're going to say, no, he hits through that ball pretty well. And sometimes he'll turn on it. Sometimes he won't. Maybe you get frustrated with his shot selection the most. But again, I think when you're 23 years old, if I'm saying you've got all of the tools, just figure out how to put them together. That's the most coachable player you can have. That's that's why I continue to be so fascinated by her cuts because it's not as rigid as a Tomas Burdich. It's also not as, you know, simple for Burdich. It's like, I make my serve, I make my forehand, I win the match. It's not that simple for her cuts right now, but I think it could be that plus so much more. Well, he's in good hands. Um, his uh, coach, Craig, Craig Boynton, I think that's still his coach anyway. Yeah, it is. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, I, you know, from when I watch matches and see them interact, and he, he seems like a really good coach. So he seems like he's in really good hands, and he, obviously he's been making that progress. So, um, you know, I mean, I think he's a guy that could end up in the top 10 at some point in his career, spend a lot of his career maybe in the 8 to 20 range. You know, that's kind of where I see him. Um, yeah, yeah, and I, I don't disagree with you there. I don't know if he's got enough of a weapon a set a skill you know a set weapon to win a grand slam and sorry again I, I maybe i won't do this with ben because i feel like i've talked pretty passionately about him now it's just it it's hard to you know again what are the weaknesses what what are the things to dislike about Hubie? and i think the thing i like so much about him is there are just so many elements of his game where i say okay that works yeah yeah for sure um and then I mean, I can't really point to any either. Um, but then just quickly on the, you know, that's that's that side of the draw. That's the top half of the Delray draw. The bottom half, when I'm looking at it, I see uh, Manorino is the three seed. He has a bye into the second round. Um, a pretty favorable draw. And he was a guy that really did well in the indoor season uh, to close out the year. Can he bring it outdoors? You know, he's a good hardcore player. 
Um, and TFO's in his draw. TFO likes Southern Florida, or I guess just just Florida. Well, yeah, that, that is Southern Florida. Um, and so he, he's a guy that I could see coming out of that half. Maybe it looks like it might be a Kazakhstani. I think they played in the semifinals. Kazakhstani semifinal uh, rematch from Nur Sultan earlier this year. TFO Manorino. Uh, and then Tommy Paul's in there. Sebastian Corda, John Isner, you know, uh, it's pretty heavy American draw on the bottom half, which I like. Um, so any of those guys I think could come through the bottom half there. It's a pretty, you know, it's a fun draw. It's not a loaded draw. I think Delray was hoping to have a, uh, you know, a, a, a more elite draw because of the move up in the calendar. You know, normally they are right after, pretty much right after the Aussie Open, uh, a few weeks after. During that kind of downtime in the calendar where the players are all over the world, there's three or four events going on at all times. Um, and so Delray has a lot of competition. Well, they took the opportunity during this time when the a when the Australian Open, you know, moved into their spot. They took the opportunity to move up into this week one slot, and I think they were hoping to get, you know, a a, a slightly higher quality field. But we've already kind of talked about the reasons why that may not have happened. Um, but it's still a pretty fun field, especially if you're an American tennis fan. Mm-hmm. No, I, again, it's. Uh, I think no matter how it plays out, we should have a very fun uh, first week of ATP action in Delray. Of course, there's also some ATP action in Antalya that I think pretty objectively has the more talented uh, draw. Certainly, you look at the top seeds headlining the event. Number one seed, Matteo Berrettini, uh, sticking with and ultimately playing this event. Number two seeded, David Goffin, back in action. Action. Of course, you've also got the number four seed and Alex Dimenauer, the number three seed Fabio Fognini. You've got Struff Dog. You've got the Boob himself. You've got so many good players up and down here. So again, what are the things, uh, Judson, you will be looking for week one in Antalya? Well, unfortunately, my friend Gretzky, uh, I don't. I can't think of the last time this happened, but. Antalya does not seem to be televised, or at least it's not on. I should say, what will you not be yeah, watching yeah. for? It's not on tennis TV. <laughs> uh, you know, they're holding it at that resort where they hold the Antalya ITFs week in, week out. But they're doing it on the hard courts, you know, because it's preparation for the Australian Open. Normally, the ITFs are on clay. But apparently, the, the, the facility they have there does not meet the specifications for the, for the ATP to televise. You know, they can't fit a certain amount of cameras in. They can't put them in certain positions. And therefore, the ATP just says, you know, F you. <laughs> and we're not giving you anything. Uh, when most fans, you know, would be happy with one mounted camera, challenger style, you know. Um, but so we're not, I, I don't think we're going to be seeing much, if any, action from Antalya. Perhaps there's some, you know, black market live streams you can find online. I don't know. But uh if I were able to watch Antalya, I would sort of be watching the same things as I am in Delray, you know, uh, how a player, how are players looking coming out of the break. Uh, but they're, like you said, there, there's a higher quality of player in Antalya, the Berrettinis and the Foninis, the Struffs, you know, um, and all them. So it's a, it, it's also a pretty fun draw. Uh, I really wish I could watch it just to see what that facility kind of looks like. Um, but, uh, you know, maybe we'll get some highlights or some 
pictures online or something. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, you got Demon in the draw. I think he has a really good chance. It's on a hard court. Um, apparently, play got completely washed out yesterday on the first day of the tournament, the qualifiers. Um, and so, I mean, that's another thing to look for. Is the weather going to allow the tournament to proceed, you know, as planned and all that? So, I don't know. You got anything that you're looking for in particular here? No, I mean, to your point, I will hold the camera if that makes it up to specifications. <laughs> like, it's ridiculous that our first week of the season, we don't, not only do we not get to watch one of the events, we don't have a place where we can follow all the scores easily, look at all the draws easily, that we still have these problems heading into 2021. Dianu, uh, I suppose the answer is no, is what I would say in our culture, anyways. Uh, yeah, I mean,. Look, I, I think you look at the draw, this little foursome of Kesmenovic, Trevaglia, Rusevori, Vesli. That's a really exciting portion of the draw. Gofen, Air Bear, round one. That should be really fun. Kasper Zouk, I want to see what he can do at the Challenger in 250 level in 2021 because I think he's a guy who strikes the ball really, really well. And then... Look, until my dying day, I will say there's a world where Sasha Bublik ends up a top 10 player just because, like, that serve and it's just that creativity. It's really freaking funky. And I'm not saying he's going to be a consistent top 10 player, but he's just going to peek his head in at number 9 for, like, a week for a hot second. And I would like to obviously see more consistency from him. But, you know... I think Berrettini, uh, uh, we, in 2019, he was so good across all three surfaces, and it's just his power tennis, the big serve, the big forehand, the backhand slice, following that ball in, it worked, and it overwhelmed opponents, but, you know, Two years, three years later, more people learn how to play you. More people learn your serving tendencies. And the question is, can he continue to maximize those strengths uh, and continue to uh, still diversify the way he attacks opponents? I think the answer is yes. I think he's a guy who should maintain a presence in the top 15 at least through the duration of his career. Uh, But I do also want to see him bounce back strong here to start out 2021. Happy to see him playing this warm-up event given how big a role injuries played in keeping him off the court in 2020. It's just great to see that he's healthy. Uh, Ditto for David Goffin, who talked openly about his struggles with playing within the bubble conditions and just finding a rhythm in 2020. Still think we have a lot of good David Goffin left in him. But uh, yeah, I mean, overall, I agree. Demon Hours, exciting. All of these players, it should be a really exciting first week in Antalya. Yeah, um, and you know, you bringing up uh, Kasper Zuk uh, reminds me that, you know, that just like in, in Delray, the the main draw cutoff in Antalya was actually lower than Delray's main draw cutoff, even though the, the at the very top, the, the players are a higher quality than in Delray. Uh, but the number 268 in the world got in, that might have been Zuk, I, I, I can't recall who the last player in was, but I mean, there's a Casper Zuc, there's Hugo Grenier from France, there's uh, uh, Erkun, Nicola Kuhn from from Spain. These are guys that normally are playing challengers. Well, they got into the main draw of an ATP 250 without a wild card. You know, they just got in. So it's a great opportunity for them. uh, Where I mean, they probably won't get into another ATP event main draw the rest of the year unless they get a wild card. Um, So, I mean, great opportunity to show what they're made of at this top ATP level. Uh, and then in the, in the qualifying rounds, you know, there are, they actually ran out of players 
and had to take one or at least one, maybe a couple local sign-ins. Um, and so you have a situation where this week the ATP 250 is going on in Antalya, and then also at the same location the ITF $15,000 event is going on in Antalya. And there are higher rated players in the ITF than there are in the qualities of the ATP. <laughs> uh, I mean, you love to see it. Yeah. You love to see it. Yeah, you do. And, I, you know, I wonder why some of those guys in the ITF didn't run over and go sign up, you know, whenever they ran out of players over there uh, and had to take local alternatives, you know. Um, but, yeah, you do love to see it. A couple of the guys, I love watching Berrettini play. Uh, a lot of people don't, you know, but I. I love the big serve forehand combo. It's exciting to watch. Um, and I love watching Fonini play. I'm dubious whether he's going, you know, whether he's going to have a good year or not. Um, he had a great year a couple years ago. And then, you know, last year kind of had the injuries at the end of the season. And uh, so we'll see how it goes this year. I mean, I think Fonini could be starting to sail off into the sunset a little bit but we'll see he's still fun to watch i mean his short strokes you know lots of power um but i I like watching him so those are a couple of guys that i'll i'll be watching you know along with the younger guys that you mentioned yeah for sure and you mentioned the fact that there's another itf event on site or i suppose in the country of turkey this week uh you want to quickly run through the other non-headline events going on in week one of the 2021 season yeah uh i i believe that that uh the antalya itf that has a men's and women's draw is on the same site i'm pretty sure they're just using the clay courts that they have whereas the atp is using the hard courts but I could be wrong about that. I do know they're in the same city, Antalya. <clears throat> um, anyway, so, you know, this week we have the three tour-level events. We have the WTA 500 Abu Dhabi and the two ATP 250s in Antalya and Delray that we've already discussed. There is no, There are no uh, mid-level events, challengers, or high-level ITF women's events. You know, so there's none of those mid-level events this week because those players are all going to be heading to Doha and and Dubai for Australian Open qualities. So that's the reason why there's no challenger level stuff this week or next week because that's when the qualities are happening for the Australian Open. Um, so the challengers don't start until mid-January for those players that don't, you know, win qualifying and go to Australia. Um, so there's no mm-hmm. challengers. No 20, 125s or 100K ITFs. So we have the three tour-level events, and then we have the ITF circuit. And the ITF circuit, <clears throat> there are seven tournaments going on, uh, four men, three women. They're all $15,000 events. Um, the women and men share locations in Antalya on the clay, in Monastir on the hard courts, and then in Cairo on the clay. Uh, three locations that you're going to find ITFs at pretty much every week, right? Uh, and then for the men, there's also they are also in Manicor at the Rafa Nadal Academy for uh, an, an ITF 15K there. And uh, that one has a live stream. I don't know if any of the others do. So if you're interested in watching some of the ITF action, I know that Manicor at the Rafa Nadal Academy has has at least a couple courts streaming. Um, anyway, so that's the that's the ITF action. Um, 
you know, so it's a weird calendar because there's no challenger. There's none of those mid-level events. There's just the three tour level events and the three futures events or seven futures events. Yeah. You know, down with the middle class is the story of the 2020s, right? So I suppose tennis uh, should be right alongside with it. But no, it, as you mentioned, it's due to the fact we have qualifying on the horizon. It's going to adjust the usual flow of the early season schedule. But yeah, again, a ton of exciting action for all of us tennis fans to enjoy as we ease our way into this 2021 season. Of course, Judson will be back on this podcast next week to recap all of that action preview week two of the 2021 season and again we will have him on the great shot podcast to talk about his maps year in review we're debating the pick'em right we're gonna try and bring the pick'em back we'll see what we can do yeah yeah um i've you know i've i've been debating it i want to do it that's my goal it is a it's a bunch of work uh but you know <laughs> you and i are, we're gonna we're gonna put our nose to the grindstone and try to figure out what we can do yeah, you know what I do there? I peer pressure you with the audience. That's just that's that, <laughs> that's my mom's negotiating tactic. Yeah, I worked it for. I learned it from her well. We um, but no, yes. <laughs> yeah, no, just messing with you. Of course, no. We will do all we can at Crack Rackets to help make all of that happen. But of course, uh, again, we are all excited for the start of the 2021 season. If you missed any of our preview content, if you need to catch up on any of the action, be sure to turn to the website CrackRackets.com. You need those more immediate updates: Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. We are at Crack Rackets. You want to message me directly? I'm at Great Shot Pod. Shout out, as always, to our super producers, Max Fliegner and Daniel Westoff, for the of it any job they do day in day out shout out as well to our friends at Midwest Sports. Go to MidwestSports.com, use that promo code CR15 to get 15% off your order. Let them know that we sent you there. But with that in mind, for my wonderful co-host, Judson Wall, our super producers, Fliegner and Westoff, our friends at Midwest Sports, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Judson, what do we tell the people? Hey, before I before I sign off, I want to give a one quick update, and then I'll and then I'll call it. Beautiful, beautiful. Um, you know, we we talked a couple weeks ago. Whenever I announced, uh, you know, the most bad tennis stadium and put out a 128 stadium draw. Um, Ooh, that that tournament finished last night, uh, and it was my favorite stadium that I told you about. Whenever we discussed a couple weeks ago, Monte Carlo won by 12 votes, you know, 300 votes in the final, won by 12 votes over Pietrangeli, uh, you know, the sunken, beautiful court in, in Rome. And uh, so Monte Carlo, as voted by Twitter, is the most badass tennis stadium in the world. But with that... Typical, typical user-generated, by the way, result. I've seen that many a times. Yeah, many yeah, a, there, many a time. Could be. But with that, that's the break, my friend. I love it, and we will see you next time. Thank you, as always, Judson. All right, thanks.